I want to talk to you today. We, we kind of do this most years where we just kind of take the beginning of the year and we cast some vision for where we're going as a church and we talk about some of these things that I think are so important um, as, as just basic parts of, of growing relationship with Christ. And, and I, I talked last week about about how I study the Bible. And I, I just want to encourage you, if you're out there and you're not sure where to start with the Bible, like you're just not 100% sure how to get with that, um, go, go back and watch uh, that, that video. It's on our website. It's on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, all those places. Um, you can go back and you can watch that. And I just want to encourage you, it's not the only way to study the Bible. There's lots of different ways people study and grow and learn. Um, but if you're just looking for a way um, to get into the word of God, I, I just want to encourage you to go back and do that because I really believe it's a foundational piece in growing with Jesus, right? Like it's a foundational piece for you to be able to grow in your walk with God. And, and so I, I want to encourage you with that. And today we're going to talk about prayer, right? Now, um, there are some of you out there who I talk about prayer and you get super excited, Right? Like I talk about prayer and you're like, I just prayed for six hours already today. And I'm so grateful for you. That's so incredible. Prayer, my entire walk with God has been work. My whole walk with God, it's been work. I, I love to study the Bible. That comes so easily and natural to me, like to sit down and dive into the word of God and study it. That part is just, that was so natural. But prayer has been work my whole time. And not like praying like just to pray, but like to really spend time with Jesus in prayer. That's not something, even still to this day, that is just a natural flow for me. It's something that I consistently work at growing at. Um, now, hear me. I think it's super important. So even though it wasn't an easy, natural fit for my life, I have found ways to do it because it's that important to me. I don't want to be a pastor who leads a prayerless church, and I don't want to be a Christian who walks a prayerless life because I don't want to have a marriage where I don't talk with my wife. I don't want to be a parent where I don't talk with my kids, and I don't want to be a friend who never talks to his friends. I enjoy all of those pieces of conversation, so why in the world would I want a relationship with a Savior where I don't talk to him? I fully grasp and understand its importance. That's why even though it isn't a natural fit to me, it's something I have consistently worked at. And I want to encourage you in this place today to be people of prayer. Again, if I asked and I had people raise, raise up their hands, there would probably be a quarter of you that said, I just love every second I've ever spent in prayer. Like, it's just so easy. It's just natural. And about three quarters of you would not say it's that easy. Now, there would probably be variations in, in where you sit with how hard it was for you to develop that spiritual habit. Um, but, but probably three quarters at least, I would say, of you out there would say, yeah, it, it's, it's been something I've had to grow in. It's been something I've had to work at. Um, and, and it's such an important thing, though, for us to do this. And I want to talk about... Prayer being important all of the time, 
All right, I'm, I'm going to preach about this today from Daniel chapter 6. If you want to open your Bible to Daniel chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. And I know that's probably not where you expected me to turn um, when I'm talking about prayer. Um, this is such an important thing. Now, this is a story that most of you probably heard as children. How many of you have heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Right, like that is a familiar story to you. Um, uh, Daniel in the lion's den is where we're going to be today. And I think that this story represents prayer in such an important way um, and such, such, a, such a monumental thing. How many of you would be honest? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to think through this right now. And you would say most of the time when you pray, it's because you need something. Right? Like, it's not just to have a relationship with God. It's not just to have a conversation with God. It's not, it's, it's because you need something. Right? Uh, I think most of us start there. Most of us, when we, when we begin talking with Jesus, we talk to him almost more like a genie than a God. Right? Like, I need help on this test today. Will you help me remember things I didn't study? Anybody ever pray that prayer? God, math, you know. Fill my mind with answers that I do not comprehend, right? Like, we know. Or maybe, maybe we are in a, in a situation and all of a sudden, like, like this week, the roads are wet and now they're frozen solid. And you feel that back end start to slide out a little bit on the way down the road. And so what do you do? Jesus! Help me! Right? That's not a bad reaction. Hear me. But if that's the only time we ever pray, we're going to miss things. Or maybe it's, bless this bunch as we munch. Amen. And that's your prayer time. Right? Or Mike's one of my favorites. Bless the food that's already been chewed. Amen. There's nothing wrong with blessing the food. There's nothing wrong with praying to God in an emergency. There's nothing wrong for asking God for help. Don't mistake what I'm saying with any of those. Those are all good things. But I want you to think about friends that you've known. And the only time they came to you was when they needed help, when they wanted something for you, from you, or there was an emergency. How did that relationship feel to you? Really deep and meaningful? Or after a while, did it get really annoying because you just felt like you were being used? Now listen, I don't think God sees you as annoying if that's how you talk to him but I think God wants more from you. He wants a relationship with you, not to just be the one you call out to when you're struggling. And we've been talking about it. It's been a little bit of a theme this morning, and I didn't really plan that out necessarily, but I've been through some incredibly difficult things in my life. I've been through some just life-altering, world-crashing-down moments that I never saw coming both before I knew Jesus and after I started walking with him. 
right? Anybody that tells you choose Jesus and everything will be easy from, for, from now on is trying to sell you something. That is not life. That's not the life Jesus led. I don't think anybody could look at Jesus or Paul or James, John, Peter, and say, yeah, once they really followed Jesus, everything just worked out really easily for them. They never struggled ever again. We choose Jesus and life still happens. Like that song we sang this morning, there's a fourth man in the fire. You're not alone for those hard things, but they're still coming. I've, I've been through those seasons and I know if you're older than like six in here, and some of you might even be younger than that, you've already experienced some of those world shattering things in your life that you never saw coming. And can I just be honest with you and tell you, if you wait to start talking to Jesus till the world crashing, life altering thing happens, I'm not saying God won't come through for you, but I am saying you're less ready for it than you ought to be. Fair enough? Think about it in any other way. Put your job in your mind right now, whatever you do for work. You've got this huge assignment coming in and you know it's coming due, but you don't order any of the parts. You don't make any of the plans. You don't get any of the work lined up until the day you're supposed to be out on the job. How's that gonna go? You could maybe fake your way through it, get started, but are you really ready? I want you to listen to what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to do this a little backwards. You might not understand until we get, get there, but I'm going to start in Daniel chapter six and I want to read verse 16. This is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. It's taught to kids all the time. Um, even if you have not been in church, you've probably heard a reference to the lion's den, right? You've seen it. Um, it's in paintings, like in nurseries and stuff like that around. Like you, you see this one referenced all the time, Daniel the lion's den. Now I want you to understand Daniel is an old man when we read this. When you first start reading in Daniel, he's just a kid right? When you read about them um, not bowing down to the, the, the golden, um, uh, you know, false God and all those kind of things, they're just kids when they're taken. But Daniel is an old man at this point in time. Daniel has been serving God for a long time, right? This is, this is not new on the stage. Now, how old he is, we don't know exactly, but I want, this is not teenage Daniel. This is, this is grown man Daniel, Okay, and, and, and Daniel, chapter 6, verse 16, Daniel has led well for his whole life. He has served a pagan king that would make our government look super moral. Um, you know, like he has served him well and has helped him along the way. Like this king is, has been insane at times, right? Like crazy stuff has happened. But Daniel has remained faithful and Daniel has gotten through all of this stuff, right? But this king is starting to feel a little big, a little important. And he basically runs the whole known word, world, right? They have conquered most of the world by this point in time. This is the Babylonian empire we're talking about, okay? And this guy runs it. And all of a sudden, some of his guys don't like how important Daniel is. And so they 
come up with a plan. And they'd go to the king and say, hey, king, just for a little while, let's make sure nobody prays to anybody but you because you're so good, you're worthy of being prayed to like a god. And the king's like, that's a good idea. I like that. People should pray to me because I'm pretty great. And Daniel wouldn't do it. Daniel kept praying to his God. Hear it. If you didn't, the order was death. If you prayed to any other God than this king, you were to be executed. And Daniel just went, nah. No. There's one God. And not only did he do that, he not only wouldn't pray to this God, he still went to his room, opened the windows, and prayed so other people could hear and see. Now, I think that's awesome. I don't know that it was necessary. But he felt it was. He didn't even try and hide it. He didn't go to his prayer closet. He was like, nah, this is my routine. This is what I do. This is how I pray. So we pick up right there with Daniel chapter 6. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. I want you to hear it too, right? Like this is so often, because we tell this story to kids, this is cleaned up so nicely, right? These are pet lions in a nice zoo and they're gonna kill somebody quick, you know, like it'll be an efficient murder squad. I mean, like, have you guys ever seen a wild animal kill something? It's gross, right? Like it's a massive, they don't just kill clean. It's a massacre, right? And stop thinking about the lions that you see in a zoo that are nicely fed and well-groomed because the whole goal is for kids to come and be like, ooh, that's so pretty. These are animals kept on the verge of starvation. So when you're fed to them, you die from it, right? They want them to attack and kill There's not surviving the lion's den. You're usually thrown into a closed cave, right, where they seal it up so you can't even really see. And I want you to imagine the fear involved in that. You know people don't survive this. You know these are starving animals who on your best day can take you. And now we're going to take sight out of the equation. So you can't even really dodge You can't even really run. You just know it's going to go and it's going to hurt. Right? That's where we're at. That's the story. And I'm sorry if that is somehow like jarring to you, but that means that we still think of it like a kid's story instead of the reality that it is. This would be maybe the scariest thing ever. How, How many of you are woods people 
Like you, like you love being in the woods. You love being in the outdoors. You go out there, you're hunters. You just like to walk. You like to, maybe you like to backpack, you ski. You do something where you spend a lot of time in the woods, right? And you love it. How, raise your hand. How many of you love it? How many of you, you're comfortable in the woods. You know it, but night comes. And then you start hearing the howls. And all of a sudden you don't love the forest as much anymore. Right? I remember one time I shot a deer back here, back when I could hunt with a bow back here. And I shot a deer, and it was just right back here. And right back there, there's, there's some acreage. There's a swamp right over there. And this deer ran down a trail I had walked down 50 times. I mean, 100 times. I, 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 I knew that place like the back of my hand. But when I was trailing the deer, it was pitch black. Because by the time I could, I shot it when it was daylight. I didn't shoot illegally, okay? But by the time I waited like a bow hunter is supposed to, and then it runs and it dies somewhere back there, it was pitch black back there, right? And I'm walking and I'm not watching the trail and where I'm going. My eyes are on the ground because I'm following a blood trail. Again, I'm sorry. If you hate hunting, just deal with me for a minute. And I'm following this thing and I find it. And we gut it and I'm getting ready to pull it out and I look around and I had no idea where I was. None. Because I hadn't been watching where I was going at all. I just followed the deer. Fortunately, it's in town. So all I had to do was be really quiet for a little while. And I heard the highway. And I knew which way to go. But I was completely turned around in 10 acres of wood. Right? I've also been out where we were gutting a deer, and I mean, you could hear the wolves howling all around. Now, I know that there supposedly has never been a documented case of a wolf attacking a human, but I don't want to be the one that breaks that trend. <laughs> and it's dark, and I'm standing over a dead animal, and there are wolves howling all over the place, and that forest was scary. Darkness does something to us. Wild animals does something to our mind. And Daniel is tossed into the lion's den and it's dark and they're starving. Feel the fear. Because if you miss how scary that would have been, you miss the point of the story. You miss the point of the story. Also, because we were taught this story as children, most of us already know the end of this story. If you didn't, if you've never heard this before, I'll tell you the end in a little while, okay? Um, but you, there's probably not very many of us in here that don't know the end of this story. And so because you know the end of the story, you assume Daniel did too. But there is absolutely no indication whatsoever that we are given by God that Daniel knew he was going to survive the lion's den. We're not given any sort of clue at all that he knew God was going to save him. All he knows is he's going to pray to God and God alone, and that's worth his life in this terrifying, horrible way. And he just does it. His faith is such that the king recognized his God and that his God could rescue him. His king has seen God work miracles on Daniel's half, behalf in the past. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to the palace and spent the night fasting. 
He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. I'll just let you use your imagination what a ruthless king's entertainment would have been. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lion's den? That's a long speech when you think somebody's going to be eaten by a lion. Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and overordered that Daniel would be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. He's a nice guy. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Please understand that just because it's in the Bible, God doesn't say it's awesome. Okay? This is not a man who serves God, this king that ordered this whole family slaughtered. Right? Like, it's just part of the story that happened. And we know how powerful and hungry those lions were. And yet God wouldn't let them put a scratch on Daniel. I think that's a miracle in and of itself. I can barely walk down the road without getting a scratch on myself. I don't know about you. I, was, I had to fix our dryer this week. So I was like up to my shoulder in the dryer and I was turning something in there and all of a sudden I looked down and there's just blood running down my arm. I'm like, how did that happen? I don't know if I've ever fixed anything in our house without some of my blood being in that job. Daniel didn't have a scratch on him. Where do you find this kind of courage? Where do you find this kind of hope, trust, and strength? Do you find it in the trial? Or do you find it before the trial? Can I be honest and say I think most people, at a bare minimum, would have hid while they prayed to God. I think they would have. But Daniel just had such trust, such faith that it just didn't matter. Can I tell you, if the lions had devoured Daniel, I don't think Daniel would have cared because he'd have been with God. His trust was so profound his faith was so sincere. And can I tell you, for most of us, you don't find that in the fire. You don't find that kind of faith in the den. If your faith isn't already there, you're going to struggle. Now, please don't mistake me. You, can't, you can find faith in those situations. But for most of us, if it didn't start before, it wouldn't be found there. Look at the beginning of Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. 
and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So Daniel was about to be the second most powerful person in the Babylonian empire. Okay? Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. It sounds familiar. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. That does not. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. I wish I could describe all of our politicians in such words. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Hear that. Hear it for what it is. His life is so clean, the only way we're going to trip him up is to set something against his beliefs. They knew it. They saw it. So the administrators, verse 6, and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We're all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Wasn't hard. He was in the window. Daniel modeled, modeled prayer. I, I need you to hear it, just in case you don't understand his story. Daniel was a good-looking, smart teenager when Jerusalem was conquered by another em empire, another, when, when his home was come, come and completely taken over. And they forced him from his home to Babylon where they effectively tried to brainwash all of these young children from these other places so they could use them as rulers. That's how Daniel's life gets its start. He went through things as a child that most of us can never understand. Most of us have no comprehension for this level of cruelty that he went through. But the whole goal was to make them into good Persians, to make them into good Babylonians, and use those resources to lead the kingdom. But it didn't really take with Daniel and his buddies. They were groomed, they were well fed, they were taught and trained, but they would not give up their gods. They are children in a foreign land with adults trying to brainwash them and they refuse to bend.
And out of all of that, when all of this stuff begins happening, as was his custom, as he always did, he was a man of prayer. He was a man who talked to his God. It was the habit of his life. And when the trial came, he was ready. His soul was ready. His mind was ready. His relationship with God was ready for the trial because his habit was to stay close to God. When trials come, are you ready or are you already living on fumes of your spiritual life? Are you ready to deal with the struggle when it comes? And listen, it will. Are you ready to deal with it? Or are you already on fumes? You got to find your Bible. You got to be like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you remember me. It's been a while. I, I do ask for food to be blessed in a funny way every day. Um, but we haven't really talked. Do you enter trials dry from no Bible reading and prayer or do you enter a trial fueled by time with your Savior? I can tell you, it doesn't make my trial any easier when I'm fueled and ready to go. It doesn't make the circumstances any simpler. Hard things are still hard. Difficult things are still difficult. Tragic things are still traffic, tragic the circumstances don't change because I'm ready with Jesus. But I'm ready because of my time with Jesus. It doesn't make the trial any easier, the, the, the pieces of the trial, do you understand? But my attitude in it is completely different. And I think that's such an important thing for us today. Can you make it through a trial Something super difficult, if you don't call out to Jesus until it starts, you bet. Many of us have. But I would be willing to bet that most of the time our scars run deeper from those trials than they do when we were ready. Not because the trial was any harder, but because we just weren't ready. And things cut deeper and hit harder because we weren't ready. Can I, can I just be honest with you and say... We probably, every single one in this room, could spend more time in relationship with God. We could probably spend more time reading his word and hearing what he has to say that way. We could probably spend more time in concentrated prayer where we're just talking to Jesus like our friend. It's such a big deal. That relationship, when that is strong, the trials are the same but they don't really seem like it because we're ready, right? If I today was to say, guess what we're gonna do today, church? And I would never do this because I hate running with every fiber of my body, but hear me. If I was gonna say, hey, we're gonna run a marathon after church today and you don't have an option because if you don't run that marathon, somebody's gonna kill you. <laughs> Most of us would die in the middle of the marathon. I would be winded before I got to the front door. 
right? Like there's a verse in the Bible that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, a fool runs when no one is chasing him. Now listen, that's completely out of context for you runners. I know some of you love to run, but it's one of my favorites. Running was punishment in every sport I ever enjoyed as a child. You turn over the basketball, you run a set of lines. You fumble the football, you run a mile. I hate running. It's punishment to me. Some of you love it, and you're healthier than me. But if I said you got to go run a marathon, how many of you think you could finish? Maybe, yeah, you think you could? I, I, I mean, I know Amanda probably could. She's, she's a runner. She runs super marathons because she likes it. She's weird. <laughs> Even some of you who are in good shape probably couldn't run that far, right? Some of you maybe could. And you're, you're, but if you're ready, you're a runner. You don't run, you are a runner. And there's a difference, right? Most of us would die. Either way, because if they're going to kill us for not finishing or I'm going to die of a heart attack in like the first four miles. It's going to happen. The only way to survive that without a scratch is to be ready for it. And yet somehow in, in things that I would say are huge in our lives, when we have a best friend abandon us, when we have parents who get divorced, when our marriage isn't going the way we thought it was going to go, when financial troubles surge and all of a sudden we don't know what to do anymore, when your kids move out of the house and you look across at your spouse and you're like, do I really know you or have we just been raising kids in the same home? When you get fired from a job, fill in the blank. When you walk through a global pandemic that no one can know exactly how it all went and how it should have gone. Please understand, I'm not giving my opinion. I'm just saying a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt, a lot of anger. How'd you come through it? In any of those things, we're blind if we think we're going to go through this life and never meet a struggle. And can I tell you, you can be ready to deal with those struggles as Jesus would. But it's a lot easier when the tank is full, when you've already been spending time with him, when you're already in the word, when you're already in communication with Jesus, all of a sudden we understand what the most important parts are in life and we can handle the disruptions a lot easier. It doesn't make the disruption any easier, but we can handle it better because we're ready in our relationship with Jesus. Can I just tell you, I want that for me. And I want that for you. But it takes intentionality, as was Daniel's custom, as was his habit, as was his routine. Feel in whatever word you want to you fill in right there. Not custom like somebody told him he had to, like he's done it so long, it's become a custom. Like, for whatever reason, I, I have Friday off. We're homeschoolers. My kids, we take Friday off um, from school. So we just started this thing a few years ago where we go, to, we go out for Friday lunch. And if me and Mandy miss Friday lunch, we hear about it because it's their custom. <laughs> I 
choice. It's something that you do so often, it becomes a pattern and a habit. Let's talk to Jesus. I'd encourage each and every one of you, um, I can't play it right now or they'll shut down our live stream. We can play it after we shut down the live stream. But I'd encourage you all to listen to the song, Talking to Jesus by Brandon Lake. And don't find the album with Luke Bryan on it. Um, that one's terrible. Um, uh, uh, grab, grab the version, the, the studio version, okay? Elevation Worship, Talking to Jesus. It's a very simple song. It's, it's just a very simple song about the story of his life um, and how prayer kind of came into it and stayed a part of it. And at the end, he talks just a little bit about just talk to Jesus like you were his friend. Because you are. You don't have to sound like me when you pray. And I don't have to sound like you when I pray. We just talk to God like we would talk to our friend. I, I hear that from people. I just, I don't know how to do it. Okay, I would love to walk you through that if you don't know how to do it. But I can tell you, you know how to talk to people, most of you. It's a few of you I wonder about. But if you know how to talk to the person sitting next to you, you know how to talk to God. Just talk to him. Have a relationship with God. And when the trials of life come, you'll be more equipped to handle them. The trials, they don't get smaller and easier, but you're ready. You're in spiritual shape and you can run through. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for models of people who, who just knew how to walk with you. God, I need, I need more of this in my life. Help me to grow in this. Bring about the conviction where it needs to bring. Bring about the encouragement where it needs to be. You're good. For each and every one of us today, God, draw us to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I want to just say, if you don't know Jesus in this place, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Talk to me. Talk to the person who asked you to come this morning. Talk to Jesus with somebody.